Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. been in a series, and the title of it is Favor. Everybody say favor. And what we've been talking about is that how when Jesus came, the Bible gives a very clear delineation and a very clear distinction between an Old Testament relationship with God and a New Testament relationship with God. And that what Jesus did in the type of relationship that is now available to us in the New Testament, very, very distinct. In a foundation scripture that we have been reading, and I'm just going to say it again because I think it's so, it's so profound, but it's in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, for out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all, that's everybody, received grace upon grace. This is the amplified. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Favor upon favor. Gift heaped upon gift. Does that sound like Christmas? How many of you know what I'm saying? It is just like, but then look at what it says in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, and then it says unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth came through Jesus Christ. And previously we talked about the purpose of the law, but in the New Testament, it it says that what we have What we have received because of Jesus is grace, and grace means unearned and undeserved favor. Unearned means I didn't do anything to get it. It wasn't my merits to get it. And undeserved is that no matter what, I didn't deserve it, what Jesus came and brought. And the Bible says that we're favored by God. It's totally unearned, and it's totally undeserved, and it's all because of Jesus. And, you know, if you look, as we look in 1 Corinthians, the Bible talks about the first Adam lost everything. But then if we look in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about um, Jesus. And I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. It says, so it is written in the scripture, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. In the Amplified Uh, extrapolates that and gives us the first man, Adam, became an individual. He was the very first, an individual. But the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. Notice that Jesus is called the last Adam. We have the first Adam who lost everything, and we have the last Adam who restored everything that the first Adam lost. And Jesus is called the last Adam, and there's been a restoration because of Jesus. The price has been paid, and now there is a favor, and there's a relationship to you and I because of Jesus. And this is the key word that is available. It's not automatic. It's available. It's available to every one of us. 
We don't earn it. It's not our merits, but it is something that God says is available to you, but you need to come after me if you want it in your life. And I want to just take a little segue, and I've got, I want to introduce to you a couple of brothers on the screen. Do you guys have their picture up there? For, give me the first one. This is Giza Pilati. Everybody say Giza. Does Giza look like a pretty good guy? Giza look Giza lives um, in Budapest, Hungary. And then you have his brother, he's Zolt. Everybody say Zolt. Zolt Pilati. And they, Zolt is 43 years old at the time that this story takes place. But these two brothers lived just outside of Budapest, Hungary. They were so poor that they lived in a cave on the outskirts. And as you drill into their story, what you find out about them at a very young age, as in below the age of 10, their father just left the mother and just left them. And then shortly after that, he, the father abandoned them. And then shortly after that, their mother abandoned them at a young age. And so what they did is go ahead and give me their pictures up there again is what they did is they moved into a cave that is at a young age that is right right outside. And the way that they learned to survive was gathering scrap metal and gathering cans and gathering things that they could find on the streets and in dumpsters that were, that were basically enough food so that they could get food for themselves. And that was the way they had functioned for decades. And now they're in their 40s. Imagine how shocked they were when they found out that they were in line to receive, say, say, now get your brain with me on this, a $6.6 billion inheritance from a grandmother that had passed away in Germany. And the only way that they found them was charity workers because they didn't have an address. They lived in a cave. They didn't have a phone. They lived in a cave. They didn't have anything, and what happened is, is that they had been searching for them for years, and these Hungarian charity workers found them and basically came up to them, and the authorities in Germany, if you study, is they knew that they had, that they, that this lady that had died had a daughter, but had severed all relationships with their, with their, with her mother, hadn't been, hadn't seen them, the, the, the the grandmother had never met the boys, and they, when they found them, the Hungarian charity workers explained it to them, and, um, and they were like, how many of you just be a little shocked? J just a little shocked. And, and what's amazing, this is what Zolt said when they found him. He said, if this all works out, it will certainly make up for the life that we have had up till now. <laughs> he, he said this, he said, all we really had was each other. No woman would look at us living in a cave. Well, I can understand that. How many of you know what I'm saying? He said, but with money, maybe we can find a partner and finally have a normal life. Even though they had an inheritance through the death of their grandmother, they didn't know about it. And they were still living in a cave. It was provided for. It was there, but they didn't know about it. It didn't benefit them because they were unaware. Realize this, that because of Jesus, the Bible says we're favored by God. I realize 
Maybe you're here and you say, well, my past, well, my life, well, what I've come, I understand that, but you're favored by God. You have an inheritance because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, realize I'm not making light of your past, but the favor of God is on your life because of somebody that gave their life 2,000 years ago. And like Zolt and Paletti, we, Zolt Paletti, we can choose to stop and not know about it, not understand it. I like what it says in, in uh, John 1. It says, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. For the law was given through Moses, but grace the unearned, undeserved favor of God, it came through Jesus. What I want you to notice is the past tense of these words. We've all received past tense. Every one of us, it's already there. It is already available. It is not enough to be provided. I must learn to identify with it and align my thoughts with it and work with the favor of God on my life. It isn't me earning it like the law. It's me becoming aware of it and stepping into it in my everyday life. Last week, we um, we uh, tried something new. How many of you went to the church picnic? Anybody go to the church picnic? Um, did you enjoy it? We tried something new in that we're, we used to go to a park, and this year we said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to do it back here, and we're going to do inflatables and have some uh, have the food trucks come in, and and so the food trucks came in, and I thought it went I thought it went really good. What'd you think? I was like I was super happy with the way that everything. The, uh, lots of good things happen. A lot of people uh, building community, relationships with other people, eating together, meeting some new people. I hope you met some new people when, when you were there. It was fun. But one of the huge things that we do, and this is going to tie in to today, is we do baptisms at these particular picnics. And so we had a, uh, we had a pool. That was the first time we used to do in the river. But we had a pool that was about that deep. And so it was like, you had to get way down. How many of you are with me on that? And so we, and, and, you know, we, we were baptizing people, but do you know that um, the term baptism, baptize, or baptized, or a derivative that is in the New Testament of that word is used 101 times in the New Testament. 101 times. When Jesus left, one of his last conversations with his disciples was to go tell people about me, make disciples of people, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to just ask maybe a question. We're going to answer it. But why the emphasis on baptism? There must be a deeper truth to baptism than the American way of thinking about baptism. You know, in, in America today, you have, you know, we, we baptize, but I, I think what we've got to realize is we have a lot of tradition behind being baptized, but do I have a biblical understanding? Because if I don't have a biblical understanding of it, then the impact of that on my life has a much lesser degree. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, is it refers to baptism as a foundational truth. 
that it is something that must be foundation if you're building a house. The foundation is the things that can be built on. How many of you know if you forget to put plumbing in your slab when you build a house, it's going to affect the rest of the house? How many of you know what I'm saying? And baptism is one of those things is we live in a fallen, messed up world and we've been trained to believe about ourselves and function in a life based on this fallen world that we live in. But what, last week, what we found out is that in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, that God calls us to change the way that we think in order to experience his favor over our life. In other words, my thinking directly either connects me to the favor of God or limits the favor of God in and over my life. And we must align and flow in agreement with him to experience what he's planned for my life. Sometimes people, believers have this mentality, well, that's God's will for my life, and so that's just going to happen. No, you must agree with his will for that to happen and flow with his will for that to happen. The Bible tells us that God God is not willing that any perish, but everybody would come to a knowledge of Jesus. Now, we could ask this question. Is everybody coming to a knowledge of Jesus? No, they're not. It's their will that must engage to experience the will of God for their life. And so we must align and flow in agreement with him to experience all that he has planned for our life. Our expectations, our actions, our views, every area of our life from our reasoning to our thinking, must come in and agree with him. The, and that is the area, I believe, that bridges us into what God has for each and every one of our lives. But just when we go back to when we talk about baptism, in the book of Acts alone, which is the book right after Jesus died, rose, and went to heaven, it's been said that it is the history book of the New Testament church. It's the first century church. The word baptize is used in that book 21 times alone, just in the book of Acts. We practice it, but based on our culture today and the culture change from then till now, I believe the meaning and the depth of baptism in the New Testament, we don't grasp it because of our understanding in the way that we've been raised. The symbolism in the understanding of what happens when I'm baptized and the shift in my thinking is huge when I understand what baptism in the Bible is all about. In the New Testament, when somebody was baptized, there was a certain mindset that everybody, and we can see it, that everybody had, and it was an understanding, and it was a distinction about those who had been baptized. In the Bible, baptism was was an outward sign of something that had happened in the heart. Something changed on the inside, and so it was an outside, it was an outside uh, a, a change or identity thing. In baptism, it was represented whenever somebody was baptized in the Bible, it was huge. 
And the reason that it was huge is because to the outside world, it was literally like a stamp of saying, I've turned over a new leaf. But when you look in, I mean, just a great example of this, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people, the Bible says that the whole countryside would come out to be baptized by John. When in what, in what it represented to them is basically your life has changed. You've, you've turned over a new leaf and you have a fresh start. But in Luke chapter three, verse eight, when John was preaching, he began to realize that some people were coming to be baptized because of the outside stigma that it represented and they didn't have a heart change. And so he stood up at the group and the reason is, is because if you were baptized by John, people would look at you and say, your life is changed. You've been totally changed. And John realized it. And so it wasn't just an outward thing, but it was an inside thing. And so in Luke chapter three, they all showed up and John's baptizing and he recognizes this group that's being baptized. And he's like, their heart didn't change. And he calls them a bunch of snakes. <laughs> he calls them a bunch of snakes. And he basically said this, he said, I want you to show outside corresponding action or fruit for what has taken place in your heart on the inside. Then after Jesus was raised from the dead, it became not just repentance, but if you look, and I want to read something in Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12, it says this, it says, it, Paul said this, he said, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now he says how he did this. Look at it, verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Notice it's an identity thing. It's a burial thing that when we get baptized, when we go beneath the water, it is a type of burial of the old person. Just like Jesus was, went into the tomb and went into the grave, it's a burial. Baptism should be a landmark identity thing to us. It was in the New Testament. In Romans 6 verse 3, it says this, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since you have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to new life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we, know we are no longer slaves to sin. Notice this, that when we came to Christ and we got baptized, it wasn't a weak, mealy prayer. It wasn't just a simple little thing, but it was an identity thing in our life. When I got baptized and went beneath the water, he said, God said, it was like a 
burial of the old man. And just like Jesus was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, when I came out of that water, it was me saying, God, I bury the old person and your Holy Spirit now is raising me to life and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to walk in your ways and the old person is dead and the new person is alive. Are you with me today? You know, when we come up out of the water, it is a symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus. The old person has been crucified. Look at what it says in Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I'm not the same person. Look at what he says in Galatians 3, 27 and 8. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. That's religious. A Jew was somebody who had a covenant. A Gentile had no covenant with God. There's no distinction. Slave or free, that's social. Male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. We're a new creation. The revelation that I was buried with Christ brings incredible victory over our lives. And I want to explain it for just a moment. If I've been buried with Christ, and I'm just going to give you a great example. If the old Mike struggled with temptations in a particular area, like I'm just going to, I'll just throw a random thing out there. But let's just say the old Mike couldn't eat one Kilwin's apple. He had to eat five. How many of you are with me on that? And that, so when I got around Kilwin apples, I didn't just buy one. I bought five. The old person struggled with that. Now, now that I've been buried with Christ, I recognize myself as dead and I'm raised to walk a new life, when temptation comes into my life, I see myself as not the same old person, but I'm a new person that, guess what? If I'm dead, dead people aren't tempted. Dead people don't give in to temptation. If I were up here, not, I'm not going anywhere, but if I passed away, and, my, and I fell down up here on the stage and you came up with five Kilwin apples on the stage and set them down and said, Pastor Mike, these are for you. I was thinking about you. If I'm 
dead, there is no temptation. You, I, you, you don't even think I'm going to get up and eat those because the old person is dead. God wants us to begin to see ourselves when it comes to temptation. Our inheritance doesn't come because of our giftedness. Our inheritance be, comes because of our awareness of the goodness of God and what he's done. And we begin to identify with him in the new person, not the old person. We begin to identify with him that, oh, this is just my old habit. If you are dead, you don't have any habits. I'm not saying you don't have temptations. I'm not saying you don't have struggles, but we got to begin to get in our thinking and in our head that when I am being tempted, that you know what? It's not me living, it's Christ. And when I got baptized, I was buried in that old man is dead and dead people aren't tempted. Dead people don't give in to the old things that only people that are alive and God, I'm buried in you. And now I've been raised to walk a new life. See, God wants us to begin right now. And I'm just going to give you an example. Let's just say you have a temptation here and you just have a temptation to go negative, just negative. Nobody looking at anybody, just look straight ahead. Okay. You have a temptation. The next time the temptation comes to just stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, my life is buried in you and your Holy Spirit is now living in me and he's changing me from the inside out. So I am no longer identifying with that same old thing. I'm identifying with the new thing that you say about me in your word. All of a sudden, our thinking begins to change. Notice what he said in Galatians, he said, or in, um, in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, the old life is gone. In Galatians 3, 27 and 28, he said, there's no distinction. And our problem, I think a lot of times, is we don't have, we think that making Jesus the Lord of our life is just some very casual, superficial prayer. But in the Bible, when they did it, they would get baptized. And when they were baptized, it was symbolic of the old person being buried and going beneath the water. And as they come out of the water, they're raised to walk an entirely new life. But it isn't their effort. It's because of them identifying with what he did, what he's done, and who's living on the inside of them. It doesn't mean they don't have weaknesses. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes, but they don't identify with the old. They identify with the new, with the decision, with the new creation, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the identity that I am in Christ. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the second Adam came 2,000 years ago to restore to me everything that was lost in the first Adam. But what I've got to do is I've got to get my thinking to begin to align with his thinking, with what he says to live in his freedom over my life. Are you with me today? You know, this is, I think in our lives sometimes, this is a, 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 a mystery. It's a secret to overcoming temptation in our life. We say, well, I'm tempted. Okay, I understand you have a propensity, but you got a new person now. And the new person is not just you, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Yeah. Did you 
go all in when you gave Jesus your heart? Yes, I did. Guess what? God isn't rebuilding the old. He's got a whole new. He's got a whole new. And he wants you to begin to see yourself as buried in Christ. See, when we talk about just like Jesus went into the grave and was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we get baptized, we say the old person went beneath the water. And as I came out of the water, I've been raised to live a whole new life, to walk a whole new life. Doesn't mean that I don't have temptation, but now I begin to stop and say, you know what? I used to, but now because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, he's changing me from the inside out. I get so many of us today, we, I, we've accepted Christ, but we identify with old limitations of the past. We identify, well, this is how, well, my parents, well, my upbringing, well, I've always, God is saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. If you want to be like Zolt and receive the inheritance, you have to stop and say, Lord, I need you to touch my understanding because if I think like I've always thought, then I will get what I've always gotten. And you want me to receive something that is way better. Just three quick bullet points. One is this. I've been crucified with Jesus. It's an identity thing. The next time temptation knocks at your door, the next time you're tempted in your own life to think I'm just, stop and say, wait a minute, hold on. This is an identity thing. I'm going to stop and say, I have been crucified with Christ and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he has got my future. He has my tomorrow. Number two is this. Dead people aren't tempted. They are not tempted. Dead people don't worry. Dead people aren't anxious. They're not given into temptation. They're not. And God is saying, the next time temptation knocks and tries to grab the steering wheel, stop and say, you know what? I'm a dead person in Christ. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who's made everything possible in my life. Everything possible. And the last one, number three, is this. What I water grows. What I water grows. You say, what do you mean by that? My thinking is the watering can to what grows in my life. It's the watering can. And if my thinking is not in line with what the Lord says about me, then understand whatever I'm watering, it's what grows in my life. And I believe one of the greatest, we look at some of them in the New Testament and we think things like this because I've done this. I've looked and we think, wow, Stephen was burned at the stake. I mean, that was like, or stoned to death, pardon me. Stephen was stoned to death. How many of you would, with your faith, he'd be like, well, that'd be a tough one. Let's just be honest. How many of you know what I'm saying? And not only did he, <laughs> was he stoned, 
But when they put him on trial, he stood up and he preached to all of them. Made him so mad, says they gnashed your teeth through dust, dirt in the air, picked up stones and stoned him. Now, how many of y'all know that'd be a tough day? <laughs> that would be. We look at some of these people in the New Testament and we think, wow, their level of conviction, their level of boldness, their level of belief, their level of sticking with whatever they believe. The reason was is because when they made Jesus the Lord of their life and they got baptized, they literally looked at themselves and said, I am now dead and alive to God. It's no longer me living, but it's Christ. And the life now that I live, I live by faith. You say, what do you mean by faith? I trust God. I trust the goodness of God. I trust the favor of God. I trust God's ability to navigate my life. You might be sitting here right now, and maybe this week you got some news in your life, online as well. You got some news this week, and you're looking and you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to tell you this. That's the old person, not the new person. The new person says, you know what? God, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I trust you. And I trust that you're going to use this and turn this for my certain good. You're going to use this, Lord, in a very powerful way. Lord, it's not just about my reasoning. It's not just about my thinking. And it's not just about my feelings. But, Lord, it's about that I came to a spot where I realized how much you loved me and how much you gave to get me. And because you openly demonstrated how much you love me, I can't do anything but trust you. And so, Lord, now I trust you. And you're telling me that the key to victory in temptation in my life is not a strong will. It's not grunting it out. It's not, it's not being able to just resolve and say, but the key to lasting victory in my life is every day recognizing that I have been buried with Christ. The old person is buried. The old temptations are buried. And I begin to recognize myself right now that I've been buried with Christ. And now that I'm living, I'm living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I live by trust in Him. I trust Him. I trust that He's got me. I trust that He's navigating. I trust that He's ordering my steps. I trust that He's got a plan. And because I do, I can live up. I can live in faith. I can live in courage. Why? Because I serve a good God. I serve a faithful God. And the freedom in my life is not my ability to grunt it out, but the freedom in my life comes by me identifying with the one who gave it all to set me free. Amen? Stand to your feet if you would. I wonder today, you know, I, as I prayed and knew the Lord want, wanted me to go this way, you're here and maybe you've never been baptized. You say, I want to get baptized. Well, guess what? We did baptisms last week. 
No, I'm kidding. We're going to be based on interest in things. We're talking about doing something, and you'll be hearing some stuff about it first to the middle of August because we're going to be doing something a little bit different. But maybe you're here, and you have never given your heart to Christ. Maybe you're here, and you say, you know, I never really fully understood it. I thought it was just about a a religious thing. No, God wants a relationship with you. And just an inside track, his plan for your life is better than anything you could ever come up with on your own. It's better. But it all starts with saying, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life, and I go all in with you right now. You're here today and you say, that's me. And I know that I've not done that. I want you, if you would, to just take a moment, close your eyes, bow your head. Right now, the Holy Spirit is knocking at your life, simply knocking at the door. And what he wants to know is, number one, he's not begging to come in. But what he's asking you is, are you open to say, Lord, I'm done with doing life my way. I give you my heart, I give you my life, and I go all in with you. That's you today. I want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to just simply lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand to the Lord. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I want to pray. Let's all pray this together. Say this with me, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I'm asking you, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Thank you, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 